wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And not only is the spring season finally upon us, we are a mere 17 days out from WrestleMania. And in two weeks from today, I'll be in the New York City area for WrestleMania weekend with Alexis. As I've said time and time and time again here on the show, uh, we are attending all festivities, virtually all important festivities and activities over WrestleMania weekend, including but not limited to WrestleCon. Uh, Ring of Honor, G1 Supercard with New Japan Pro Wrestling Talent on the show as well. That Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. NXT TakeOver New York. WrestleMania 35. WrestleMania Access. Monday Night Raw. It's going to be a fucking fantastic weekend to say the least. We'll be in the New York City area from late Thursday to early Tuesday. I could not be any more pumped up for it to say the least. But we'll save all the picks, predictions, and previews for the pre-WrestleMania episode per usual in two weeks' time with Mr. Marceau hopefully joining us to get predictions for possibly G1 Supercard as well. I'll be there with Alexis, so maybe we'll save those picks and predictions for a separate show. But we'll definitely be talking NXT TakeOver New York and WrestleMania 35 for a grand WrestleMania preview episode in two weeks' time right here on WrestleRant Radio. Um, But today, it's going to be another jam-packed edition, as always, talking all things Raw, SmackDown, even 205 Live and NXT as I record this coming off those two shows from this past week. In addition to last Friday's Ring of Honor 17th Anniversary Show pay-per-view, which I did watch live on Honor Club, had no streaming issues whatsoever, watched it on the live app on Roku. So if you're looking for good ways to watch the Ring of Honor pay-per-views, including G1 Supercard in two weeks... I would honestly really recommend subscribing to Honor Club because you not only get all the live pay-per-views, and I think it's only if you do the VIP access, which you got to pay like over 100 bucks for, but it's only one price. Like it's not $9.99 a month, which would technically, it's technically what the network is, but like it's just one giant sum at one time. So you pay once, you get all the content for a year, all the live pay-per-views. My subscription actually lapsed this past week and I had to renew on Monday or Tuesday, but I was able to renew in time for the pay-per-view on Friday, so I was able to watch the pay-per-view. You can watch the new episodes of Ring of Honor TV every single Monday as they're uploaded before they make their way to Fight TV that night. You can watch all the old pay-per-views, including All In. That's on there. You can watch old episodes of Ring of Honor TV, old Ring of Honor pay-per-views from years ago. It's a great service. It's essentially the same amount as the WWE Network, so there's no reason to not subscribe. So if you're looking for a good place to check out the G1 Supercard show coming up in two weeks, that's a good place to watch it if you won't be there live like yours truly, which, you know, like I said, no mean to brag, but the show is going to be amazing if the card that's currently on tap is any indication. But we'll talk about that momentarily. First, if you guys want to check out full episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio, you could do so every single Thursday, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You can rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get all the new episodes on Thursdays, you also get all the archived content dating back to October of 2013. Over five years worth of episodes over in the archives, so check them out now. Not only that, be sure to find me on the socials as well on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews and on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash Matthews. Speaking of YouTube real quick, what I am looking to do between now and the release of Avengers Endgame on April 26th, I'm looking to rewatch and review every Marvel movie in the MCU that I can. Because my grand plan about a year ago, dating back to like the release of Black Panther, or actually around the time that I think Infinity War came out, if I'm not mistaken, um, it was around like last spring. 
that I came up with this grand plan to review one Marvel movie a week for the YouTube channel, bring on various guests, help me break down the movies, get my thoughts on them, all these other things. And it just didn't work out. Life got in the way. I got super busy. So it just didn't really work out the way that I had hoped. But I'm still hoping to watch and review as many Marvel movies as I can over the next five or six weeks. So if you're interested, let me know. I've already recorded two. Uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy review is up now with uh, Chris Mueller, the doc from Bleach Report. Great dude. Um, He's an aficionado of all things Marvel and MCU and whatnot. So check out our discussion that lasted well over an hour and a half. Um, We recorded it back in August, but I just put it up this past Monday on the YouTube channel. And then on Wednesday, I recorded the review of Thor Ragnarok with the one and only John Napolitano, who's been here on WrestleRant Radio many a times. So check out our discussion of that movie, probably going up within the next few days. So stay tuned for that as well. But with all that being said, let's move forward now into my review of the Ring of Honor 17th anniversary show from last Friday, live from Samstown Live in Las Vegas. A very good show overall, as Ring of Honor tends to deliver. I have yet to see anything less than like a solid show. From Ring of Honor. Some pay-per-views of theirs are better than others, but overall, like I said, I thought this was a very enjoyable event from start to finish. Kicking it off was Marty Skrull, who I completely forgot was the number one contender to the Ring of Honor World Championship. So when I did the predictions um, on last week's show, I think I recorded that before it was announced, literally that same day, like right after I got done recording, that it was announced that Skrull would be facing the winner of the Ring of Honor World Championship match on this show, on the 17th anniversary show, at G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden. So I was saying in my reviews, in my preview of the pay-per-view, that, oh, you know, Marty Skrull, he likely already got a shot of the title, he's on his way out of the company, why would he win here? Clearly they're pushing Kenny King, blah, 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 blah. Well, it was a waste of a pick, and I was an idiot for choosing Kenny King, because as soon as it was announced, it was a foregone conclusion that Marty Skrull was winning that match, because it would make it would make no sense for Kenny King to be the number one contender to the title. So I'm like, okay, that was a dumb pick to make. So obviously Marty Skrull went over here. It was a very good match. Uh, they worked well together, kicked off the show on a high note. Marty Skrull is one of the best stars they have on that roster, so he may not be around for long. It's very obvious that he... It's looking like he is all elite wrestling bound, and Villain Enterprises is just cleaning up at the moment. Between the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles, Marty Skrull going for the world title at Madison Square Garden, I believe Villain Enterprises has a um, six-man world tag team title match coming up as well against the Kingdom on an upcoming episode of Ring of Honor TV. So Villain Enterprises is just winning gold left and right at these days on, on Ring of Honor TV. So um, it would not surprise me if ROH is doing everything in their power to keep Marty Skrull around by giving him so many golden opportunities and promoting him as a top star. Unfortunately, these pushes are coming a too little too late. They gave him multiple shots at the Ring of Honor World Championship about a year ago. He went for the gold at, I think, over WrestleMania weekend at Super Card of Honor last year and fell short against Dalton Castle. He had another opportunity at June's Best in the World pay-per-view, fell short that time as well. And when he lost then, I'm thinking, okay, I think if there was any time to put the belt on Skrull, it was on that show. And he got pinned both times. So, again... Um, I think it's only fitting for him to become Ring, Ring of Honor World Champion at least once before he leaves. Whether officials feel the same way remains to be seen. That being said, I thought he had a good match with Kenny King. They worked well together, like I said. And um, hopefully Marty Skrull is on his way to becoming Ring of Honor World Champion at Madison Square Garden. It would certainly be a cool moment, if nothing else. Um, I think the Ring of Honor Championship changing hands in MSG would be pretty damn cool. Doesn't necessarily have to be Marty Skrull winning the title. Could very well be Matt Taven, who we'll talk about momentarily. I hope that's not the case. It would still be cool, but I think the crowd would react the loudest to Marty Skrull becoming champion in that venue. If only to drop it you know, a short time later, because Skrull's contract could be... you know, I think it's been heavily rumored for a while that his contract is up in April, but there's also a decent chance he may not be on his way out until like the fall like September or so. So his contract may be up right around the time that Gallows and Anderson's WWE deals are up, and they've been uh, rumored to leave for a while now, too, from WWE. It's been about a month, but it was uh, not a month, but like two or three weeks ago. PW Insider broke the news that Gallows and Anderson, um, their contracts, when they're up in September or so, 
they are not looking to renew their deals. They are looking to explore other endeavors elsewhere, and I think they'd be fools to go anywhere. But All Elite Wrestling, considering their documented history with the Young Bucks, um, they've kind of accomplished all they could over in Japan. Impact, I don't think, is the best place for them. Maybe Ring of Honor. You never know. Don't want to, you know, underestimate Ring of Honor here and their ability to pick up uh, the Good Brothers because they've been picking up great talent left and right in recent months ever since the departure of the Elite back late in uh, late December. But I think the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, winding up in AEW is all but, you know, confirmed at this point. But point being, Skrull, Gallows, Anderson, no matter where they are at the moment, it's very possible we see all three guys um, end up in AEW by the tail end of 2019. Also, the Ring of Honor 17th anniversary show, we had the Ring of Honor World Television Championship up for grabs and about between Jeff Cobb and Shane Taylor. Great match here. They recently had a match on ROH TV that was very, very good, and I was hoping, like, damn, if we get a rematch, it would be awesome. These guys have great chemistry together. And sure enough, we got a rematch here on this show. And um, it was even better. I thought they produced an even better bout this time around. Taylor looked awesome in defeat. And I've never really honestly been the biggest Taylor fan, but I thought he really gave it his all here. He showed that he was championship material, and I did not think he was the right guy to take that title from Cobb, so I'm glad he didn't. But I was happy that he looked so credible in defeat um, by pushing Cobb to his absolute limit and giving Cobb his biggest fight to date. Because Cobb has been undefeated and unstoppable since arriving at ROH back in late 2018. So I love this a lot. This was a great match, and Cobb continues to deliver in spades on all of Ring of Honor's pay-per-views. Up next for the Women of Honor World Championship, we had champion Mayu Iwatani successfully defending the gold against Kelly Klein. A good match. I did not get the chance to watch their last match, not in full anyway. Um, this was okay. Klein, I think, is very good. I was surprised to see her championship run cut short back in February. But if she's going to lose the championship to anyone, it might as well be Iwatani because she's a great worker. Um, I was first exposed to her work, I think, in last year's Women of Honor World Championship Tournament to crown the inaugural champ heading into Supercard of Honor um, 2018. So Iwatani, terrific talent. Um, they had a few sloppy, awkward moments here in this match, but that aside, this was an overall very solid affair for the Ring of Honor World Championship. So yes, this did happen in the middle of the show, um, like an hour into the pay-per-view. Out comes Matt Taven before we were supposed to get the Kingdom versus... Lifebloods, I think Tracy Williams and I forgot who else. I think it might have been Mark Haskins and Tracy Williams. It was two members of Lifeblood taking on TK O'Ryan and Vinnie Marcellia. Um, Matt Taven comes out instead. He says, I can't wait any longer. Give me the Ring of Honor World Champion Jay Lethal right here, right now. And I figured it was an angle to set up the main event for later, and it was just done to hype up um, Lethal and Taven for later on in the show. That ended up not being the case. The match happened. The match did happen right then and there. Lethal came out. They got a referee, and the match started in the nine o'clock hour. So I'm like, holy shit, <clears throat> they're getting the main event out of the way early. And granted, I wasn't all that angry about it, just because it really wasn't looking that forward to Lethal versus Taven. No disrespect to these two performers, and I love Lethal, and I've been a Matt Taven fan for close to a decade now. It's not that at all. It's just that the feud has been good. But it's not a match that like screams instant classic to me, which I feel like is what they were going for with this match because both guys kicked out of their respective finishers like several times, like three or four times. And that used to be the case with the Ring of Honor years ago. They really haven't done that as much in the last five years, at least since I started watching Ring of Honor back in 2014, 2015. They've really toned that down, kind of kept it to one or two finishers at most. <clears throat> and you can save the whole, oh, kicking out of finishers multiple times thing for, like, big matches. And again, I felt like that's what they were going for here. They were trying to capture that feel for, like, oh, you were watching this match. Where the fuck were you when Lethal faced Matt Taven? And they went to a 60-minute time limit draw. It's a great thing to do every once in a while, and I'm not blaming the company for pulling that card here on this show. Um, I just thought it was the, it was a weird match to do it with. Because they had done it before a few years ago, I think with Jay Lethal and Roderick Strong. That might have been a 30-minute time limit draw. I don't know if it was 60 minutes. But the match fell to every bit of 60 minutes. It really was not until the final stretch or so that this match picked up. 
Um, the first half was really fucking boring. It was all rest hold. And it made sense in the end why they were stalling so much early on. Because obviously they wanted to save for um, a hot final finish in the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so before the match ended in a time limit draw. So again, I got what they were going for. It just did not make for the strongest world championship match on the whole. Because there were a lot of parts of this match that just kind of felt like they dragged on. It wasn't exciting. It was fucking rest hold after rest hold. And Matt Taven, he can deliver in big match situations. He has before. This was one of them. It was definitely one of the better Matt Taven matches I've seen. Um, But, you know, other matches I've seen him have, at least in singles competition, they're not always the most exciting. The guy's not the... um, the greatest in-ring competitor in the world, not by a long shot. At least not on the level of Lethal and others currently in Ring of Honor. But, again, I commend the effort. They did a great job here. Ended on a high note with the crowd demanding five more minutes. We didn't get five more minutes. Ending in a time limit draw to ensure that Matt Taven stays in the title hunt and the championship is still on the best Jay Lethal. The best in the world, as some would call. Maybe not the best in the world, but definitely one of the best in the world right now. And the fact that he's been Ring of Honor World Champion for over nine months, I think is certainly uh, a testament to his talent and how great of a competitor he is between the ropes. So that was in the middle of the show. We still had an hour left on the event. So they kind of filled it with filler matches. Um, The Kingdom versus Lifeblood Tag Team match never ended up happening. Neither did, I think it was Jonathan Gresham versus Silas Young. Gresham did come out to help out... um, Jay Lethal against Matt Taven to kind of combat the kingdom. So they rode off Bresham with an injury, so that's why that match didn't happen, and also the fact they had no more time. They did waste a good chunk of time on a segment with these two rappers, Mega Ran and his buddy. No idea who these people are. I think I might have heard their names before, might have heard some of their work, but by and large, I have no idea who the hell Mega Ran is. So thankfully, Bully Ray put the segment out of its misery when he came out, bashed the two rappers, um, bashed the fans, bashed everyone in the back. It was great. Bully Ray, despite the fact that he's in the twilight of his career and should not be holding uh, significant championship gold anywhere at this point of his career. Like, I love the Bully Ray character, and he does an amazing job of getting you to hate him, but there's no reason for him to be a main event star. I think Ring of Honor is using him really, really well. Um, to help put over the younger talent and work with guys like that to um, kind of put them over and make them feel like a bigger deal. People like Flip Gordon. Speaking of whom, I believe he is back in action officially. He was cleared to compete just recently, and he was injured, I think, maybe back in mid-February, late January, with like a very minor ankle injury. So Flip Gordon is back, and in this segment, Bully Ray issued a challenge for the G1 Supercard event at Madison Square Garden. To anyone, not only in Ring of Honor, just in the wrestling business in general. And I got a lot of people talking because he ended his promo by saying punk. He said, I'll see you there, punk. Obviously, people's minds are drawn to CM Punk. Clearly, that's not happening. Um, That was just designed to get people talking. I doubt CM Punk would come back for an unannounced appearance at a Madison Square Garden show for fucking Ring of Honor against Bully Ray, of all people. There's not enough money in the world to make that match happen. But uh, it was a very interesting promo nonetheless, and Bully Ray continues to be one of the best in the business when it comes to getting you to hate him. So I don't know who's going to end up accepting the challenge. And I mentioned Flip Gordon, the fact that he's currently clear to compete, because it could end up being Flip Gordon. But if it is, and I like Gordon, I just don't feel that there's any reason to go back to that match. Because we already saw Gordon beat Bully Ray decisively back at, what was it, Final Battle in December in the I Quit match. So there's no real reason to do a rematch. They worked well together. They put together a great angle. The fans went nuts when Gordon finally beat Bully Ray. But um, aside from that, I feel there's no real worth in delivering Gordon as Bully Ray's surprise opponent. If you wanted to do the match, just announce Gordon outright because if you put anyone else in that spot, I'm sure they'll get booed. It's going to be a disappointment and fans get their hopes up for something that may not happen. Like people hope for CM Punk, they get Flip Gordon. That's not a great trade-off. And I like Flip Gordon, but it's not on the level of like a former world champion from another promotion that would make a big splash. You know what I'm saying? But um, I am looking forward to seeing Bully Ray and who he will end up facing at the G1 Supercard event in New York City next month. Um, Roosh versus Bandito was a fucking great match. 
and they didn't really have enough time to make this out to be as special as it could have been, considering how talented both guys are. Um, they're legends in the Lucha Libre industry right now, and they're both just so happen to be signed to Ring of Honor. They had awesome chemistry. They made the most of the time that they had. Um, but both guys just arrived in the company. So, it, yeah, in, in a certain sense, it felt like a dream match. But I think with even more time and more bad blood established between the two, this could have been an even bigger match than what it was. So Roosh went over. Um, he showed some heel tendencies here, which I was surprised by because he was immediately challenged afterward by Dalton Castle, and it was actually Roosh who showed more heel tendencies than Dalton Castle did, which again is strange just because Castle's the one that has been teasing going heel in recent months, coming off a losing streak and being able, you know, failing to regain the Ring of Honor World Championship. So I'm surprised that it's not Castle going heel. Maybe they could do a double turn. Maybe they could switch things up at some point between now and then and have uh, Castle officially go heel over Roosh. But as of right now, it looks like Roosh will be the heel in that matchup. But the guy is great. The guy is like Ring of Honor's version of Andrade San Alamas in the sense that he looks like a star. He moves around like a star. The only issue is that he can't really speak a lot like Andrade. He knows English, but it's not all that fluent. So if they give him a mouthpiece, which I know Ring of Honor is not all that high on usually, and sure, you can let his in-ring work do his talking for him, but Andrade really didn't take off in WWE, specifically NXT, because that's where he started out, until he was paired off with Zelina Vega. I think Roosh, I don't know who that mouthpiece would be, but if he is paired off with someone else, he would be that much better off in Ring of Honor. Um, the guy has star written all over him, though, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he fares in Ring of Honor in the months and years to come. So the new main event of the show, after Lethal and Taven took place a little earlier on, uh, the new main event was a Las Vegas street fight, which I don't think this match was supposed to be. I think it was merely given that stipulation to make up for the fact that the real main event had happened earlier on in the show. So this was a Las Vegas street fight for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles. Villain Enterprises, consisting of PCO and Brody King, taking on the current champions of the Briscoes. Um, this was an all-out fucking war. Blood everywhere, some kind of gross spots with staples and shit like that, and, um, was it the kendo sticks that the Briscoes had broken in half and, like, put in the eyes of Brody King and PCO? Whatever the fuck it was, it was disgusting and cringeworthy, and not in a great way either. I'm not a big fan of the hardcore shit, because I know I would poop all over it if I was watching an old ECW pay-per-view, so to watch someone do it 20, 25 years later, I think is equally stupid. We gotta be fair here. But overall, it was a very entertaining match. Both teams went out there, had a hell of a performance, and uh, really put it all out on the line. I thought they worked together very nicely and gave this a big fight feel. Ultimately, was Villain Enterprises emerging victorious as the new Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, which I was surprised by. I said here in my preview for the pay-per-view on the show last week that I felt that it was a foregone conclusion that the Briscoes would walk into Madison Square Garden and face Gorillas of Destiny for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. And, you know, Villain Enterprises versus G.O.D. is going to be great as well. But it felt G.O.D. was like the Briscoes of New Japan, so it felt like a match made in heaven. Why wouldn't you do that match? And maybe they've had matches before. I'm sure they have. Um, but as far as I know, we've never actually seen G.O.D. versus the Briscoes before. Would have been a big-time match. One of Ring of Honor's greatest tag teams of all time taking on one of New Japan's greatest tag teams in the last four or five years. We're not getting it. No issues. Um, but Villain Enterprises in that spot instead will be equally amazing. Mark my words. If this match was any indication. So overall, a very good show. Again, I thoroughly enjoy the Ring of Honor 17th anniversary show. Um, Taven and Lethal delivered a much better match than I was honestly expecting. I thought it would be a good match. And I'm glad this took place in the middle of the show because I knew what they were going for. They kind of switched up the format a bit. It wasn't quite like Cody versus Minoru Suzuki a few years ago. I think that was a death before Dishonor 2017. Just a very subpar match. Very subpar main event. Did not feel like a main event at all for the Ring of Honor World Championship. It was like a 12-minute match. It was very obvious that Cody was winning. It was not all that exciting whatsoever. And that felt like a disappointing way to close out the show. We didn't get that here, thankfully. Uh, we had a very good main event. These two teams going all out. And if the hardcore shit isn't for you, then maybe that's not the right match to watch from this show. But it was still a great match, at least in my opinion. 
Roche and Bandito went out there and killed it for the time they were given. And, uh, yeah, like I said, Lethal and uh, Taven had a really good match. Uh, Klein and Iwatani for the Women of Honor World Championship was fine while it lasted. Cobb and Taylor was awesome. Well worth checking that out. And then the opener, King and Skrull, was also solid. So check it out. Ring of Honor 17th anniversary show available now on Honor Club or on Fight TV, whatever you prefer. I think it's on Fight TV. And if you haven't already, check out Honor Club. Subscribe in time for WrestleMania weekend. G1 Supercard, I believe, will be airing live on the platform. And I have no reason to watch it on the platform because I'll be there live. So I'm looking forward to that. But like I said, they announced the number of matches for said event in Madison Square Garden, including the main event for the Ring of Honor World Championship. It's going to be a triple threat after what we saw at the 17th anniversary show. It's now a three-way, not just with Taven and Skrull, but Matt Taven as well. And I said Taven, I meant Jay Lethal, I'm sorry. Not only with Lethal and Skrull, but Matt Taven involved in the equation too. So it's Lethal, Taven, Skrull, triple threat for the Ring of Honor World Championship, but it's going to be no ordinary triple threat. They're throwing in ladders, and it's going to be a three-way ladder match for the gold. And it's going to be great. And I can't remember the last ladder match I've seen in Ring of Honor. Yes, I was at a ladder match at a final battle. Ladder War is a little different. Ladder War is more along the lines of like a TLC match. And that was fucking phenomenal. But this should be equally amazing. So I'm looking forward to that match. And Lethal, Skrull, Taven going out there and killing it. So that's already been announced. And uh, my prediction is that we have a new champion crowned in Matt Taven. Um, that's not going to be the popular pick. I wouldn't cry if he won because uh, I like Matt Taven. But I do think the belt belongs on Marty Skrull, if only for a brief period before he leaves for AEW. But I think that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, moving right along now into Monday Night Raw from Monday Night, another uh, mediocre show on the whole. Really not many things worth pulling apart from this episode that I thought were good anyway. Uh, we kicked off the show with returning Brock Lesnar, who is indeed still the Universal Champion, unfortunately. We haven't seen him on the show since January. We've seen quite a bit of Paul Heyman, but no Brock Lesnar until tonight. So he went back and forth with, of all people, Drew McIntyre. And that kind of got me wondering, what if it was McIntyre and Lesnar instead at WrestleMania, instead of, you know, Rollins and Lesnar? And I don't think it would really make that big of a difference, because I like Rollins and Lesnar happening at WrestleMania. McIntyre would have been an intriguing opponent for Lesnar as well. The biggest issue that the Rollins and Lesnar feud has had, though, since it was first announced back in January that they would be fighting for the title at WrestleMania, is that Lesnar's never on the fucking show. And I know that's his gimmick and all, but still, I mean, if the guy's never on the show, then how are they supposed to make me care about this feud? I can only see Rollins and Paul Heyman talking about, you know, Brock Lesnar and his track history, his track record of beating people with F5s, blah, 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 so many times before it gets old. And it got old a long time ago. So they had Lesnar here. He said nothing. He exchanged some words, not Lesnar, but McIntyre did, with um, with Paul Heyman for a little bit. And then Rollins came out, laid out McIntyre with a chair to avenge what he did to uh, Roman and Dean Ambrose last week, thus setting up the main event for the night, McIntyre and Rollins. Um, after that, we had Finn Balor taking on Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush. Now, it was promoted as a mystery partner for Finn Balor, and I didn't notice this because I wasn't paying that much attention, but right before the commercial break, Michael Cole on commentary stupidly said, oh, Balor's tag team partner, find out after the break, it's going to be monstrous, essentially giving away that it was Braun Strowman. Now, again, I wasn't expecting that just because I didn't hear him say that on commentary. I don't think I was paying attention half the time I don't while watching Raw, but that's still kind of a letdown. And even when Braun's music did hit and I didn't know it was him, I was still kind of underwhelmed. And there's not many people it could be. I mean, it's not going to be like a call-up or something or whoever or a returning person from injury. But um, just why not announce Strowman in that case? You know, it's not like it was a big surprise. There was only so many people it could have been. So I thought that was weird. Um, Strowman... For those who have not been watching the product in recent years, or recent months anyway, has cooled off significantly. He is far from the top talent that he felt like he was at this time one year ago. And he's still, you know, a, a pretty big name on the roster, figuratively and literally. But um, he just has been spinning his wheels for so long, it's kind of hard to care about whatever he's involved in. And get this, 
despite the fact that Ian Balor successfully teamed up on this show and they beat the current Intercontinental Champion Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush, Strowman will not be involved in the Intercontinental Championship match at WrestleMania. Now, I'm not a big fan of multi-man matches, especially at WrestleMania, maybe for a match or two, but to do it with multiple matches, with the tag teams, the women, um, this and that, and all these other fucking matches for the title, I just really want a standard singles match more often than not at WrestleMania, but I don't want that with Finn Balor and Bobby Lashley. That's the issue. If there was any time to do a a multi-person match, for the Intercontinental title WrestleMania, it would be this year. Because a straight-up Bobby and Balor feud, even if Balor was the demon, does absolutely nothing for me. So Strowman instead will be competing in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Yes, the same Battle Royal that he was involved in two years ago at WrestleMania on the kickoff show before being thrown out promptly halfway through by Big Show. So hopefully he does not meet the same fate this year. I would assume that he wins. Um, otherwise, I don't know who, all the, who the fuck else you put in that match that would make sense to win. But Strowman's involved in this whole feud right now with the SNL host and all this other shit, the, the social media correspondence for the pay-per-view. It's a whole lot of nothing. They're basically using Corbin to sell some uh, toys because that car that he destroyed on last week's Raw was the same make and model of a toy car that WWE is currently selling with the Braun Strowman action figure with the gimmick being that he destroys it. So yes, what you witnessed last week with Strowman in that car that he single-handedly annihilated, yeah, that was just one giant fucking commercial for a toy car. Whatever. I have completely lost all hope in Braun Strowman ever really amounting to anything uh, because he's been booked horribly for so long. But with Balor and Bobby, just going back to them for a second, they have had no chemistry since his feud first started earlier this year. They had a mini-feud late last year after Bobby first went heel, and they had no chemistry even then. So I would scrap this thing altogether or include Elias or someone else just because that's the only thing that would make this match more exciting at WrestleMania. And they have yet to officially announce Balor and Bobby for the title at Mania, but I assume that's where this is going. And if that's the direction you were going in, why not build up Finn Balor over the course of a while? You know, they've done these these rapid-fire title changes in recent weeks. So if Balor does regain the gold of WrestleMania, it's going to mean nothing because we've already seen him as champion just a fucking month ago, and he lost it because of uh, shenanigans with Leo Rush. So why have him win it in the first place? Why not just save that moment for WrestleMania, which I thought was very weird booking. We had the moment of bliss with Alexa Bliss and Elias. This was incredibly pointless. Um, Elias was interrupted per usual, this time by No Way Jose, who challenged Elias to an impromptu match. Um, It was heatless. It was flat. The crowd could not give two shits. So I thought that was just so stupid. But um, yeah, it it was kind of a waste of time. I'm glad Elias won, but like what other purpose was this supposed to serve? And I really hope they have something major in mind for Elias at WrestleMania especially after being interrupted for so many months now by Jeff Jarrett, the Lucha House Party, Lacey Evans, so on and so forth. Um, I really hope Elias is lined up for something big at WrestleMania, because if not, I've completely lost all hope. The fact they turned him back heel after turning him face for a brief period, I thought was dumb enough. But going into WrestleMania at the moment, he has nothing creatively to do. And last year that was the case too, but he ended up being like, Involved in a segment with John Cena where he took an AA, which I thought was cool. It was better than nothing. It was better than being tossed down the honor of the John Memorial Battle Royal in like two minutes. So I thought that was cool. But uh, yeah, what a waste of time that was. Kurt Angle's announcement. Yes, Kurt Angle announced on Monday that not only, I mean, we found this out last week, that his final match will be at WrestleMania 35. It was announced shortly before this episode of Raw that Angle would announce his opponent, for said show on this week's Raw. They were in Chicago, the same city where 17 years ago on SmackDown, John Cena debuted, took Angle to his limit before falling short of victory in his debut. So it would have been as great of a time as any to announce John Cena as Kurt Angle's opponent at WrestleMania. And we know these two have a lot of respect for each other. John Cena was the one who inducted Kurt Angle into the Hall of Fame a few years ago. 
We know they can work well together. I know Angle is in the twilight of his career. He's winding it down. Matches that would have been good 5, 10 years ago are, are kind of like a shell of their former selves um, in the sense, that, or at least Angle is. The matches aren't really as good as they could be considering the current state that, that you know, considering the current state that Angle is in um, being so, you know, at the end of his career. Really, this farewell tour should have taken place five, six years ago when they could have brought him back, but whatever. It's not that big of a deal. So Angle says, I've decided my opponent for WrestleMania. Only to find out, we come to find out that it's Baron fucking Corbin. Yes, Kurt Angle in his last match ever at WrestleMania 35 will be facing former Raw general manager Baron fucking Corbin which I cannot stress to you how dumb that is. What a massive disappointment it was to hear that Kurt Angle is facing Baron fucking Corbin in his last match ever at WrestleMania. That match wasn't even worthy to be held on Raw a few months ago, let alone at WrestleMania. Um, I thought that was a really poor choice, and the fans let him know it, though. The fans in the arena, the commentators even acknowledged it. Social media, I thought, was going to shut down for a little while, because people were so pissed that Baron Corbin was announced as Angle's opponent. And I give Angle a lot of props. Um, I'm sure he wanted a higher-profile opponent for Mania. Um, I don't know why they made this out to be such a big deal. They should have just announced it from the get-go because they got people's hopes up for nothing that it was Baron Corbin. Um, unless this is all a swerve, which I assume it's not, but this whole thing is just so stupid. So, 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 so stupid. Of all the people to go with, from Samoa Joe to AJ Styles to John Cena, from someone like an NXT, uh, you know, a, uh, a fucking Matt Riddle or whoever, or an EC3 who would really be given a great opportunity to shine and picking up a big victory over a retiring superstar, a retiring legend, a WWE Hall of Famer. Nope, let's just put him in there with uh, Baron Corbin. And I assume Baron Corbin would win. Now, in any other circumstance, I would say, yeah, it's a fine idea to put him in there with a guy that can benefit from beating Kurt Angle in his last match ever. Baron Corbin would not benefit from any of this. He's already beaten Kurt Angle before one-on-one, the night after the Rumble, and it hardly did anything that changed the perception of him being just a boring wrestler. So, again, I would uh, hopefully, I, I would hope that WWE heard that reaction on Monday's Raw, and even Angle's own wife had, had said something on Twitter on Monday about how underwhelming of a choice it was for Baron Corbin to be chosen, of all people, to face her husband in his last match ever at Mania. So I would hope that officials heard the reaction and are like, oh shit, we're, they're probably going to poop on this match come WrestleMania. Let's switch it up before it's too late. They have two weeks worth of Raw left. They have this coming Monday and the Raw after that. So they have back-to-back Raws to switch out Corbin for someone better, a la John Cena. And some people are not the biggest Cena fans, but I think it would be a far better choice than Baron fucking Corbin. And no, that's not his name. I know I've said it a million times. I've said it like that for the last few minutes with that uh, F-bomb intersplice between his first and last name, but that might as well be the new nickname, not the Lone Wolf or whatever the hell they're calling him nowadays, but Baron fucking Corbin, just because that's what I say every time he comes out nowadays in a segment that he should not be involved in. Because I like Baron Corbin, but the guy has just been an absolute chore to watch for so long. It's to the point where I just could not give two shits about his character in the slightest. On the bright side, the match Kurt Angle had with Chad Gable following the announcement was exactly what I wanted to see at WrestleMania. I think I said on this very show a week ago that Chad Gable would be the perfect opponent for Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, if only because of their similar backgrounds in the Olympics, uh, the two being very, uh, two very entertaining athletes, and so on and so forth. Chad Gable has yet to really been given the chance to show what he's made of as a single star since being called up a few years ago. American Alpha was great. I enjoyed the tag team with Shelton Benjamin. I've even enjoyed at times the tag team that he currently has with Bobby Roode. But Chad Gable deserves the chance to really shine, and he didn't win here, nor should he have, considering Angle should resume his winning ways going into WrestleMania. But I thought he looked good in defeat. It was a good match while it lasted, not terribly long, but for what it was, I enjoyed it. And again, I feel like what we saw here from Angle and Gable was what we should have seen at WrestleMania. Um, unless they switch the match between now and WrestleMania, 
as of right now, on the bill, it's Kurt Angle versus Baron fucking Corbin. Um, Chad Gable would have been a bit better off in that spot, albeit it's a bit random. That does feel like a raw match at this point, just because Chad Gable has been spending the last number of months as a tag team guy, really ever since he got called up years ago um, as a tag team guy. But, you know, again, if they built it up the right way, the same way that Jason Jordan was randomly introduced as Kurt Angle's illegitimate son a few years ago, they could have made it work. Granted, it's too late for that, but I was glad, if nothing else, that we finally got to see Angle versus Gable at least once before Angle retires at WrestleMania. Unfortunately, the subsequent match wasn't all that good, or should I say never really had the chance to be as good as it could have been uh, between Sasha Banks and Natalya due to interference from Nia Jax and Tamina. So we had this very good segment preceding this match with the Boston Hug Connection and the, Diz- and the Divas of Doom. Beth Phoenix got a much better reaction on this show in Chicago than she did last week. Last week's crowd was not as kind to Beth. Either they weren't aware of her, they didn't care as much, whatever. Chicago gave her a much better reaction, which was cool. Um, seemingly setting up a WWE Women's Tag Team title match for WrestleMania between the Boston Hug Connection and the Divas of Doom. I think that writes itself. I think it'd be a great match. There's no reason to put the belts on Phoenix and Natalya, granted. But it'd be a very fun match, and it kind of keeps the focus on those two teams and nobody else. But of course, WWE being the way that they are just had to go ahead and uh, include Nia Jax and Tamina in there. And I've said this multiple times here on the show in the last couple of weeks. These two do not deserve another shot at the twin titles at WrestleMania. They've already lost a number of times, including at Fastlane, and prior to that at Elimination Chamber. The same goes for the Iconics, who have been fucking losers since getting called up back right after WrestleMania about a year ago. I like the Iconics, and their match with Banks and Bailey wasn't half bad on Tuesday, but there is no real reason for them to be in that tag team title match at WrestleMania, aside from how they want a SmackDown presence in that match, which I think is completely pointless. If anything, I would put Mandy Rose and Sonya in there over the Iconics. At least they've had a better track record of winning when it matters most. They were in there with Banks and Bailey until the very end of that Elimination Chamber match last month. So why are the Iconics in there? They're losers. Why are Nia and Tamina in there? They're losers. Um, it has yet to be officially announced that WWE will be doing the WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal this year. So maybe they're not doing it and they're trying to get as many women on the card as possible, which I guess is fine, but I still have no desire to see Nia Jax once again competing for a championship at WrestleMania for the third consecutive year. And it's just uh, not necessary because she's really not that good. And this tag team with Tamina is pretty terrible. Um, So I'd rather, I would personally prefer, and maybe you're different, I would prefer a standard two-on-two tag team match between Banks and Bailey and Phoenix and Natalya. Granted, we're not getting that, so hopefully they can make the most of what they have here of this, as of now, four-way match for the tag team titles. I could always see them adding in more teams between now and WrestleMania, such as the Riot Squad, such as Mandy Rose and Sonya, maybe even some Sky Pirates and Kyrie Sane and Io Shirai action after what was teased back in NXT when Banks and Bailey showed up there um, about a month ago. And that's all well and good, but... It's the exact same thing as the Elimination Chamber match we saw last month, except without the Chamber. So it's significantly worse and not nearly as entertaining. So I don't really understand what they're going for here, but that's what the WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal is for, to get as many women on the card as possible. They should not be all shoved into a tag team title match that has zero appeal on paper. Ricochet taking on Jinder Mahal one-on-one on this show. Uh, A fairly uninspiring match. It was fine while it lasted. I was glad Ricochet was able to showcases skills a bit, but even Ricochet could not make a Jinder Mahal match exciting in the slightest. Again, it was decent. It was by no means terrible, but um, I'm not really sure what purpose this served, This uh, aside from allowing Ricochet to maintain momentum. Uh, recently, he's been teaming up with Aleister Black on Raw, SmackDown, NXT as part of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. So I don't know where Aleister Black was. As far as, uh, as, far as I know, he's not hurt. Um, he wasn't on SmackDown this week. Neither of them were, actually. So I'm not really sure what point this served aside from just killing time. We had a Raw Women's Championship match between Ronda Rousey and Dana Brooke. Yes, Dana Brooke had a shot at the championship so close to WrestleMania. Now, if it was non-title, you know, actually, I take that back. Even if it was non-title, there was virtually no chance of Rousey losing so close to WrestleMania. That would have been so incredibly stupid. Um, But to put the championship on the line essentially foreshadowed the finish to this match, which is fine because no one ever really thought, no one actually thought Brooke would win anyway. And the match was over within seconds. 
which I thought the execution of this was fantastic. And as I've said before, this is the Ronda Rousey we have, should have had the entire time from the moment she showed up on, in WWE, if not soon after. She's a natural heel. She comes off super well in this role. She comes off as so detestable and unlikable. It's amazing. Uh, Dana Brooke, unfortunately, not the most sympathetic babyface in the world. So maybe if they put like Ember Moon in that spot instead, which I wouldn't have been as happy with that just because Ember Moon should not be beaten in eight seconds. I think Dana Brooke was perfect for that role. But Rousey beating up on someone that's a bit more beloved by the fans than Dana fucking Brooke might have worked a little bit better in that respect. But beyond that, I thought this was a great segment. Even Rousey's husband, Travis Brown, played his role remarkably well in the audience, shoving down security. Apparently, there is no fines for anything nowadays because there was a fine on WWE.com. There was an announcement, an article on WWE.com last week saying that, oh, Ronda Rousey was fined an undisclosed amount for roughing up a referee. Well, she did it again on this show. Travis Brown did it. And then Becky and Charlotte did it too on SmackDown. So apparently they're not taking these fines all too seriously whatsoever. Um, but beyond that, though, I thought it was a very good segment. I already talked about Baron Corbin versus Kurt Angle. He faced uh, Apollo Crews on this show. Baron Corbin did. The match was all right. Apollo Crews won, which any other week I feel like would have been fine. But on the same night that Baron Corbin was announced as the opponent for Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, why the hell would you have him lose? to a glorified enhancement talent in Apollo Crews, who, again, is an awesome wrestler. Don't get me wrong. I've been singing his praises for years now. But to have him beat Baron Corbin so close to WrestleMania, why don't you fucking have it Apollo Crews face um, Kurt Angle at WrestleMania instead? Granted, we saw that match last week, but wouldn't it make more sense if Apollo Crews, not even with a distraction finish, because if you try to pull on this logic on me, pull this logic on me, like, oh, Drew McIntyre beat Rollins, so why don't you do... McIntyre, um, you know, McIntyre versus Lesnar at WrestleMania instead. Well, that was a bit of a distraction finish. That's different. Um, this was, I believe, as far as I remember, as clean of a victory as you could get over Baron Corbin. So again, I don't know what they're going for here. They did play up on commentary that fans were all, you know, not all that, uh, intrigued by the idea of Kurt Angle facing Baron Corbin at WrestleMania. So maybe that's what they're going for here. Maybe they're going for something like, oh, the fans aren't in favor of it, so maybe Angle will change his mind between now and WrestleMania. I don't know. I really don't. What makes this worse is that in storyline, it wasn't a management decision. Angle had the opportunity himself to choose his opponent, so he comes off like an idiot for choosing someone as dull as Baron Corbin. Again, like I said earlier, I understand what they're going for because he does have unfinished business with him from a few weeks ago, from when he beat him on Raw right after the Rumble. I get it. But in terms of a WrestleMania-worthy match, it's, it's pretty bad. And Angle has to realize that it's not like one of those things, like with Shawn Michaels who had said, oh, if I can't beat The Undertaker WrestleMania, I have no career and all this other dumb bullshit. They may have worked with that. Kurt Angle should really not give a shit about avenging his loss to Baron Corbin. If he does so much, if he cares that much, he should do it on Raw. Kurt Angle has enough pride and respect to realize that his final match should not be against someone the caliber of Baron Corbin. We also had a Batista interview on the show, which I thought was really, really good. Batista was in his element here. And last week's segment got a lot of mixed reviews from fans, with Batista like whining about giving one, uh, you know, giving him what he wants, and which uh, led to a lot of memes from the internet wrestling uh, community. Do we even call ourselves the IWC anymore? I was thinking about that earlier. Is IWC even a term anymore? Which it shouldn't be, because it was a dumb term to begin with. Because by this point in time, every wrestling fan is on the internet in some form or fashion. If you're following Ronda Rousey on Instagram, you're a part of the IWC, apparently. So I'm glad that term has been largely phased out. But uh, what I was saying was that Batista's promo last week saying, Give me what I want! Give me what I want! Give me what I want! was uh, not exactly the most critically acclaimed promo in his career. I enjoyed it for what it was. This, I thought, was much better. Um, he provided some sound logic for why he has beef with Triple H, their history from Evolution many, many years ago, from when Batista left back in 2010, and Triple H didn't believe him in him, didn't believe in him. Um, I thought it was great. I'm looking forward to seeing what Triple H says in response, because this does not exactly make Triple H look good. So Batista's going for heat here. Um, he did not exactly succeed in that respect, at least in this segment, but I thought it was an overall very effective promo from Batista hyping up the no-holds-barred bout with Triple H at WrestleMania. 
And then we get to the main event between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins. They had a bit of an exchange in the microphone beforehand. Another very good match, although it's a match I feel we've seen a million times since the summer. And I would not wear people out on this match so soon just because it's a match we very well could see coming out of WrestleMania for that Universal Championship. So, um, again, they work well together. They have great chemistry. But McIntyre beat Rollins here, albeit with a distraction finish, with a distraction from Brock Lesnar on the stage, which I thought was well executed. Not exactly the best way to get people excited about that match. Felt kind of low effort, like something you would see in a fucking WWE video game, like a simulation or something. Um, But beyond that, I thought it was a very good match. And with McIntyre's victory, he has now not only beaten two members of the Shield, but he is also, he could very well be in line for a shot at the Universal Championship coming out of WrestleMania. He now has a claim to the title saying that, oh, I beat you, Seth Rollins. Give me a shot at your championship. Because I can't remember the last time Rollins was actually beat um, in a one-on-one oper- in a, in a one-on-one match on Raw, pay-per-view, whatever. The last time might have been when he faced Dean Ambrose back at TLC in December. Uh, or actually the Falls Count Anywhere match, which I think he had lost um, to Dean Ambrose on Raw right before the Rumble. So I think Ambrose actually holds a few victories over Seth Rollins as well. But my point being, Ambrose is not going to be here. I mean, at least likely not. Um, They could always go back to this feud. So I really hope they don't run it into the ground between now and whenever they revisit it after WrestleMania. Um, But overall, a very dull episode of Raw had didn't really have much highlights, many highlights at all. I enjoyed the last half hour with Rollins, McIntyre, and Batista. Beyond that, uh, the episode was really all not it was not all that strong and didn't do a great job of uh, getting me amped up for WrestleMania. Aside from the fact I'll be there, so that kind of gives me enough of a reason to be excited for the event. Um, but still, hopefully, the next two weeks of Raw, next Monday, and the Monday after that, the Go Home Show are um, worth checking out. Because if not, WWE is certainly not done there do and getting fans excited and invested in certain storylines with WrestleMania drawing near. On SmackDown on Tuesday, it was a much better show. The Miz kicked off the evening addressing Shane McMahon in one of the best Miz promos I've seen in some time. And that's not a knock on his recent work on the microphone because The Miz has been amazing on the mic really since day one for the most part. He's always been a very talented talker, but he has always been known to be a great talker. Um, But not just that, but what I was trying to say before I lost my train of thought um, it's sometimes the material that he's given to work with makes certain promos more special than others. And I thought this was one of them. I thought his logic for Shane turning on him and, you know, his beef with Shane and the fact that he kind of, uh, grew up in the business as a hardworking guy, never missed a day, has always done everything the company has told him to do. He wasn't guilty of whatever Shane was accusing him of, that being like, oh, using Shane to get to the top, blah, blah, blah. He has earned everything that he's ever gotten in WWE, including the fans' respect, which they, um, you know, it responded with great praise from Miz during this promo. So again, I thought this was great. I might have talked about it last week. I'm almost positive that I did. But I think The Miz is really coming into, into his own as a babyface during this feud. I can definitely feel it. He's already off to a strong start between the betrayal at Fastlane last week and the follow-up promo on Tuesday's SmackDown. And when they eventually go head-to-head, whether it be next week on SmackDown or the week after that, it's going to be big. And I'm actually looking forward to the match at WrestleMania based off how well they've built it up in recent weeks. But um, yeah, The Miz's first face turn, his first face run was not the greatest, but I think a lot of that had to do with bad booking. Yes, he is a more natural heel, I will agree with that, but I think he can work and can flourish as a face if uh, booked the right way. So far, they've been handling very well, and I think he held his own on the microphone very nicely as well, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what next step he takes in this rivalry with Shane McMahon with WrestleMania coming up in a few short weeks. Uh, I already talked about this previously, but the Iconics beat the current WWE Women's Tag Team Champions on SmackDown, the Boston Hog Connection, in a non-title match. So uh, I assume the Iconics will be getting a shot at the titles of WrestleMania in some sort of multi-team match. If I had to guess, it'll be Banks and Bailey, the Iconics, Jackson Tamina, and the Divas of Doom, which, again, is fine, but as I said earlier, I personally prefer the standard two-on-two approach. I feel like that would be much better. The Kevin Owens Show returned on Tuesday night with two special guests in Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair talking about their upcoming match for the Raw Women's title, also involving Ronda Rousey, of course, at WrestleMania 35. This was a good segment, but it kind of missed the mark for me, personally. Um, First and foremost, Owens, I have no idea what the hell they're doing with him at the moment. I don't know why they brought him back as a babyface in the SmackDown brand, 
for any other reason than just to feud with Daniel Bryan for a week or two to fill in a spot at Fastlane. Now I know for the WWE title match with Daniel Bryan, now I know they didn't know that Mustafa Ali would be cleared in time and that would have been a perfect match to do at that pay-per-view, but they freaked. They put Owens in that spot instead. And now he has nothing of note going on heading into WrestleMania. The same guy that beat Chris Jericho for the United States Championship two years ago. Faced Daniel Bryan in his return match at WrestleMania last year. Three years ago, walked into WrestleMania as the Intercontinental Champion. This year, Owens is nowhere to be seen on the card. So I would assume that he ends up in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which sucks royally, um, because my initial idea was to put him up against Sami Zayn, which, yeah, would feel rushed. So at this point, it's probably not the best idea because they've done nothing to build it up whatsoever. In addition to the fact that we already have like 17 rumored matches for WrestleMania, which is absolutely ridiculous, but just prepare yourself for a very long show come April 7th in New York, New Jersey, whatever. But yeah, I don't know what the hell they're doing with him. I really don't. Uh, The babyface stuff is fine. I think he's done well in the role so far. But if they didn't have any long-term plans for him, I'm not talking about short-term, because clearly they brought him back to oppose Brian for a week or two just to kind of bridge the gap between the Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber and WrestleMania so Brian can face Kofi at that event. What do you do with him now? Um, like I said, coming out of Fastlane, I would have had Sami Zayn return and cost him the championship, thus setting that match up as a WrestleMania match. We're not getting that. And he's a glorified talk show host right now, a la Alexa Bliss. So I'm not really sure where else you go with him. But Becky and Charlotte, I thought, did well in this segment. Um, You know, it was a good promo, good promos from both women. But they've kind of said all they could by this point. They've been feuding for so long, not just Becky, Ronda, and Charlotte, but Becky and Charlotte specifically have been fucking feuding now since, what, August, July, nonstop, essentially? Uh, I'm ready for them to move on from this rivalry. Hopefully Becky is raw bound coming out of WrestleMania and the Superstar Shake-Up for 2019. Because, I mean, again, their chemistry is off the charts, don't get me wrong. And I thought the brawl was well done, but it felt like a rehash of a segment we've seen before on this show. And with Becky and Charlotte, they've done everything they could together in the ring, on the mic, you name it, they've done it. in their rivalry dating back to the summer. So I'm ready for these two to be separated for quite a while coming out of WrestleMania. It's a lot like when Sasha was feeding with Charlotte um, in 2016 and people desperately wanted to see them break them up but by putting one on SmackDown and keeping the other on Raw. Thankfully, they did that and we've not seen a Charlotte-Sasha match since and it's been almost two years, which I think is great. Um, so eventually when they do meet again, it's going to feel like a great big deal. Um, but they have to do the same thing with Becky and Charlotte because at this point in time... It's just really run its course. Thankfully, WrestleMania is right around the corner, and there's not a, you know there's plenty of time you know not plenty of time but like not that much time left, which is what I'm trying to say here. Not much time left before WrestleMania, so we only have to see them interact one or two more times before the event, where they can blow it off by having whoever win, hopefully Becky, and then moving on in a different direction. But I thought this was, it was solid. It wasn't a bad segment at all, but. I just felt like it was something we've seen several times, and I stressed several times before. And of course, the main event saw Kofi Kingston running the gauntlet for the second time in one month's time, this time with the opportunity to divide for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania against Daniel Bryan, provided that he could be every opponent McMahon put him up against. So he first knocked off Sheamus, and then Cesaro, and then Rowan by disqualification, therefore putting Kofi at an even bigger disadvantage, heading into his subsequent matches with Samoa Joe, who we also beat, and then Randy Orton, we beat as well. This was a great gauntlet, as expected. The whole Kofi Kingston saga right now has been amazingly fun to follow. And um, if you asked me a month ago, which I talked about here on the show a month ago, if the match at WrestleMania was Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston, I likely would not be sold on it, but they've done a great job of making me buy into Kofi Kingston as a WWE championship caliber contender and competitor and worthy of holding that gold no matter how long. Um, So I thought they did a great job of selling people on the idea that Kofi Kingston is that guy in that um, he could be the guy and he will be the guy to face Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Unfortunately, after he beat Randy Orton, out came McMahon who said that Kofi had one more opponent to face, that being the WWE champion himself, Daniel Bryan. Of course, Kofi was exhausted and uh, he could not overcome Brian being beat by the running knee, and, da- and Daniel Bryan reigned supreme, therefore, I guess, winning the entire gauntlet. 
So, um, Kofi Kingston, as of now, still not set to face Brian for the belt at WrestleMania. I assume, I assume it's only inevitable that the match will be made official for the show. I'm surprised they've waited so long to make the match official for the show because it is for the WWE Championship. Obviously, by this point, we would know, okay, Kofi, Brian, put it in the headlines, put it on the poster, start promoting that match, which I feel is an issue with the whole midway pay-per-views on the road to WrestleMania, Fastlane, Elimination Chamber, and then again, had it not been for those shows, Kofi Kingston may never have gotten this shot in the first place. So maybe everything works out for a reason. That's what I believe. But when it comes to the Kofi Kingston story, hopefully they can find some way to incorporate him into the title picture come WrestleMania. It's no bullshit multi-man match with Mustafa Ali and Kevin Owens, who I both like, but they don't belong in the match at WrestleMania. The story should be Brian and Kofi one-on-one for that title. So hopefully come next Tuesday, we will officially find out that it's going to be Brian and Kofi in a singles match for the championship at WrestleMania. And people are even asking, could that match main event the show? I don't see them closing with Kofi Kingston becoming champion, no matter how great of a moment that is. It's just not box office to them. I still see them closing with a women's match, as they probably should. And then Rollins and Lesnar um, should be a great match, too. I think that would close over Brian and Kofi. I'd be very, very, very surprised if they went with Brian and Kofi in that main event slot. And I would have no arguments, no complaints about it if they did, because I think it would be an amazing accomplishment and accolade for both Kofi and Brian to main event uh, WrestleMania. Brian's already done it once, uh, five years ago. But to do it again, this time with Kofi in the role as the underdog, as the babyface challenger, would be awesome. And before we close it out here, real quick from 205 Live and NXT this past week, first on 205 Live, it's official for WrestleMania 35. Tony Nese beat Cedric Alexander on Tuesday's episode to win the entire Cruiserweight Championship number one contenders tournament and to earn the opportunity to vie for the gold of WrestleMania against his former, now former friend, Buddy Murphy. And again, that was another match that wasn't sold on even a few short weeks ago, but they've really made me buy into Tony Nese as a threat to that title. He has established history with Buddy Murphy. It's a fresh match. So I think they could really go out there and kill it if given the opportunity to do so. Because again, it's a main roster pay-per-view. It's a WrestleMania. There's going to be likely upwards of 17 matches on that show. So hopefully they land the kickoff. I never thought I would say this, but I hope the Cruiserweights are on the kickoff because that way they're getting more time. Because if not, they'll be given five minutes at best on the main card. So hopefully they're on the kickoff. They're allowed to go all out and have the match that they're capable of. And then on NXT, it was also announced, a lot of announcements this week, that Tommaso Ciampa is indeed no longer the NXT champion after having to relinquish the title due to neck surgery um, that he just underwent a few short weeks ago. And we now know the main event for NXT TakeOver New York, 48 hours ahead of WrestleMania 35 in a few short weeks over WrestleMania weekend. It's going to be Johnny Gargano, who was going to be given the match anyway, um, in a two out of three falls match, facing the winner of this Wednesday's Fatal 5-Way main event, Adam Colbebe, having beaten Matt Riddle, Velveteen Dream, Alistair Black, and Ricochet in the aforementioned Fatal 5-Way. An amazing main event, easily the best bout I saw all week, so when you have the opportunity, please check it out. But uh, yeah, it's going to be Johnny Gargano and Adam Colbebe for the NXT Championship in the main event of that show. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, the entire event should be amazing. It was also, you know, set in stone for the card on Thursday that it's going to be Velveteen Dream defending the NXT North American Championship against Matt Riddle. So between that bout, the four-way for the NXT Women's Championship, the War Raiders defending against the winners of the um, Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, which will likely be Aleister Black and Ricochet, uh, Cole and Adam, uh, yeah, Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano in the main event, and then... Uh, also made official on Wednesday. Again, a lot of WrestleMania announcements made this past week. Pete Dunne and Walter for the WWE United Kingdom title. So that's a fucking banger of a card right there that I cannot wait for. And maybe if they can throw on Keith Lee and Donovan Dijak, I would love that too, but I think it's more likely we see that match happen in um, on the pre-show instead for, for TakeOver. Like, you know, how they film for the following week's TV right before TakeOver. I think it's more likely we see that match happen on that show, which is even better. As long as I get to see it in person in Brooklyn, that's all I care about. And that does it, guys, for this week's Wrestle Rant Radio. Thank you, as always, for checking out the show. I thoroughly appreciate it. Um, you can find me on the socials at WrestleRant on the Twitter machine, on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews and on YouTube as well, youtube.com backslash 
see backslash Graham GSM Matthews. As for new episodes of WrestleRant Radio, you can check them out every single Thursday, not only on NextDRWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to the show's debut in October of 2013, so subscribe today. All that being said, guys, like I said, Blockbuster pre-WrestleMania edition of uh, WrestleRant Radio coming up in two weeks' time with the one and only Mr. Marceau, per usual, joining me for the WrestleMania predictions. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Aside from that, though, you guys could check out all the available content here on iTunes and on NextDayWrestling.net, both written and audio, heading into WrestleMania, and of course, next week's episode um, covering the latest week in WWE and so much more. So until then, guys, have a great rest of your week and weekend. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Oh